Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. And this week on Full Rigor, I'm going to tell you about a tragic, creepy, and unbelievable story about a young co-ed from Miami who went missing in Georgia after a softball game in the early 1990s. Now, she was a student at Emory University, and she was earning some extra cash by working at the softball game. And the umpire behind the home plate apparently took a shine to young 19-year-old Shannon Malendi. Her father was a photographer in Miami, so you can go to my crime blog on 850WDFTL.com and see photos of Shannon. She was gorgeous. But anyway... Apparently, this creepy umpire was calling balls and strikes and not even looking at the pitcher or home plate because he had his eyes on Shannon, who was working as a scorekeeper. Here is the pissed-off pitcher. Lord have mercy, anybody would have had to pay attention to what was going on that day. It was so bizarre. Nothing like that has ever happened to me in a softball game before. I mean, in the middle of a pitch, he would physically turn around and go back and start talking to this girl. And here I am in the middle of a pitch, and he had the nerve to turn around and look and go, ball. I said, how you know? You wasn't even looking. You know, that made me mad because... I started walking, folks. So apparently this weird umpire asked Shannon out to lunch, and she agreed. And so they went to a restaurant nearby the ball field, but she never returned to the softball field for her afternoon shift as a scorekeeper. And that was very unusual because Shannon was very punctual and organized, and she always showed up for work. Basically, we had a 19-year-old college student who dropped off the face of the earth. Completely disappeared. Now, I'm really going to blow your mind here because the suspect, 33-year-old Butch Hinton, should not have been roaming the streets of Atlanta, should never, ever have been let out of jail. He was previously arrested in Illinois after his wife found him raping a young girl in their home. Shockingly, before he moved to Atlanta, Butch Hinton, the suspect, had three prior convictions in Illinois for sexual assault and kidnapping. His first wife walked in on him while he was sexually assaulting, raping a 14-year-old girl who was bound. The first wife testified against Butch Hinton. Here's part of her testimony. Silver tape on her mouth. She had electrical tape, silver tape, rope, some kind of wire bounding around her wrists and around her ankles. So you would think that Butch Hinton would have had the book thrown at him. No, he got four years of which he served only two and then promptly moved to Atlanta. Remember, I did a podcast on Tiffany Sessions, who went missing in 1989. She was a junior at the University of Florida, and she simply vanished off the face of the earth. No evidence of Tiffany has ever been found by the police or the FBI. Well, similarly, the body of Shannon Melindy has never been found. And as I said, she was attending Emory University. Actually, she wanted to enter the legal field. She wanted to be a Supreme Court judge. Her parents, Luis and Yvonne Melendi, emigrated from Cuba and stressed the importance of higher education. So Shannon, of course, picked out Emory University, and she was a straight-A student. She was an honor student at Miami Southwest High School. She was, I guess, every mother, father's dream child. She was outstanding, and whatever she did, she approached everything in life with gusto. She knew exactly what she wanted out of life, but her life was cut short. 
The first two years at Emory were uneventful until March of 1994 when she disappeared. She kept score during morning games for the first time in her life. They broke for lunch. She was seen leaving the field and was never seen or heard from again. A friend of my sister-in-law's came up to tell him that Shannon was missing. And my husband fell to the ground. And he said, we'll never see her again. Now, for perspective, at that time in March of 1994, I was seven months pregnant. And my husband at the time, Sean, was working for NBC6 in Miami as a photojournalist. He's an Emmy Award-winning photojournalist. I've talked about him before. He shot the KKK march down Worth Avenue and across burning in a field and won an Emmy. He also won uh, multiple Emmys after that. But the news desk at NBC6 sent Sean to Atlanta to find, to sniff out Butch Hinton. Butch's real name was Colvin but he went by Butch, like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> My favorite line from that movie is... Well, that ought to do it. Thank you, enough dynamite there, Butch. Yeah. Well, this Butch was a mechanic at Delta Airlines, and he had a family, a home. He went to church, yada, yada, yada. It's always the, you know seemingly squeaky clean church-going guys who get in trouble. He was a charismatic guy. He taught Sunday school to kids. Um, he was very active in his church. He played sports. I mean, umpired, obviously. I always say that people have a file, things are not as they appear. Everybody does. He also had an alibi. He made telephone calls from his home around the time Shannon would have gone missing. We knew from telephone records and from speaking with other people that Butch had made telephone calls from his home. So cops did get a search warrant for his home, but they found nothing. And after the search warrant turned up nothing, the trail of Shannon's kidnapper went cold. Except my ex-husband Sean was hot on the trail of Butch Hinton, and he found him at his home. He actually got the only video of Butch Hinton and it was as Butch got in his car. First, he told Sean he was going to sue him for trespassing because he was in his driveway. But he rolled down his window to tell him that, and Sean got video of him in his car. It was like the only video ever of the suspect at that time. And Sean got it. So six months after Shannon disappeared, apparently Butch just could not stay out of trouble. Instead of using dynamite, he actually tried to burn down his house. So they responded to a house fire at Butch Hinton's home in the upstairs bedroom. Now, Hinton said that it started from a vacuum cleaner that short-circuited, but it was obvious that an accelerant had been used, and he filed an insurance claim. He alleged it was an accident with a vacuum cleaner. Then you look at how the fire started. Uh, it was clearly an arson. An accelerant was poured on the floor and ignited. Uh, he made an insurance claim. Uh, fraud was involved. Also, while investigating the arson fire, police spoke with Hinton's neighbor, who said six months earlier, Butch Hinton had a huge bonfire in his backyard the same night Shannon went missing. And they described him as, it was very eerie. It was, they, they said it was chilling to them. Very bizarre. So, police executed another search warrant and used a backhoe to dig up the fire pit. They found a dozen women's sweaters 
I mean, it was really bizarre and creepy. They're all like size small. Hinton said that they might have been left there by the previous homeowner. I knew his wife. I actually went to high school with her. And the clothing that I was finding in the fire pit was not her size. It didn't belong to anybody that lived here. That is not the norm that somebody would bury women's clothing in their backyard, particularly when the clothing didn't belong to their wife. Well, how many other victims do we not know about with all these sweaters in the backyard in the fire pit? Shannon's parents did say that none of the sweaters belonged to their daughter, Shannon. Of course, Butch Hinton denied everything, and the FBI didn't find any blood on any of the sweaters. They did find in the fire pit, however, some odd items, some plastic pants like used in crime scene investigation, some wire ties, and some cleaning products. They also found nine rolls of tape in Butch Hinton's garage, but none of this stuff pointed to murder. I was in touch with uh, Clint Van Zandt, which was an FBI profiler. And him and I got very close, and he told me a lot of things that I wouldn't tell my family. And, and um, he assured me that Shannon was murdered by Butch Hinton very early. And I kept that to myself for a long time. Hinton went on trial for the arson and mail fraud for setting his house on fire and filing a false insurance claim. And for that, he got nine years. So he was behind bars. And during that time, no one knew what happened to Shannon Melendi that entire decade. And at that time, the case fell by the wayside because you had O.J. Simpson three months after Shannon's disappearance. The FBI were busy with that the Oklahoma Federal Building bombing, Centennial Park. I mean, there were bigger things than Shannon's case. We had people point blank tell us that they just didn't want to hear about Shannon anymore because they wanted to hear about happy things. I mean, when the local police department found out that Shannon was missing, they initially thought it was just a college prank. For days and days and days, uh, the attitude was, this is college girls gone wild. Shannon has just come back from a great spring break vacation. She's met lots of new guys and girls. She's probably just hanging out with one of them. Well, after nine years, Butch Hinton was about to be released from prison. And fortunately, Shannon's case was never closed, and it was about to get a new set of eyes. Detectives reopened the case and started combing through the case file. The FBI sent us boxes and boxes of file folders, and I just started going through them, starting with number one, uh, using little sticky pads and, and notes and highlighters to mark things that I thought were either A, strong points to indicate that Butch Hinton was guilty, or B, strong points to indicate that no, he wasn't. I had no agenda at that point. First, they needed forensic evidence, and they started at the beginning. Now, there was a bag holding Shannon's ring that was found near a pay phone. The man said, I have Shannon's ring. I have the ring that her aunt gave her. Shannon is okay. She misses her family and hung up. Eleven days after Shannon disappeared, Emory school officials got a phone call. Male voice called Emory University on, on their hotline number and said that he had Shannon and that he would make demands later. We really thought that Shannon was still alive at that point. Um, we were hoping that we would hear from them again, but we did not. 
The FBI traced the phone call to a payphone 20 miles away. They didn't find any fingerprints, but they did find a small cloth bag that contained Shannon's ring wrapped in masking tape. The ring didn't yield any results forensically. There was no fingerprints. There was no trace fibers on it to link anything to. But the bag was the important piece of physical evidence that we had. There was hope. It was the first time that maybe we can recover Shannon. Please bring us our daughter back. Please give her back to us. We love you, Shannon. The ring didn't yield any results forensically. There was no fingerprints. There was no trace fibers on it to link anything to. But the bag was the important piece of physical evidence that we had. Well, the bag apparently was manufactured by Millheiser Corporation, which had only one customer, the Fulton Paper Company, which had only one customer for those bags, which was bingo, Delta Airlines. And who worked for Delta Airlines? Butch. And apparently he used the same small bags to ship airplane parts, and he had many of them in his desk. So the forensic experts compared the bags and found that the bag that had Shannon's ring was consistent in construction size and weave pattern with the bags found in Hinton's desk. We measured the distance of the warp and weft, the two directions of the weave, and we also did a thread count. They took something as small as a bag and turned that into a suspect, and that's just amazing. Then they investigated the masking tape around Shannon's ring and compared it with the rolls of tape that were found in Hinton's garage when the first search warrant was executed. They were consistent with respect to the width of the tape, the adhesive that was used on the tape, and the coating surface of the tape, the non-sticky side. Now they noticed there were tiny metallic particles after they used this infrared spectrometer on the tape. It was not a situation where you can ignore that these particles were present. That took us on a different path. So it was really remarkable to find. These tiny particles were copper nickel alloy and they had never been seen before. It was strange. It was a copper nickel alloy that I had never seen in an environmental sample, a tungsten cobalt alloy that I had never seen in an environmental sample. Now research showed the only industry using this alloy was the aerospace industry. Ta-da! Delta used the alloy to coat its engine parts. And who works on Delta engine parts? Why Butch, the mechanic. To find out that those metals were only to be found in a jet engine aircraft manufacturing plant or repair plant, I think that that was very, very critical in the case. Apparently, Hinton had stolen the rolls of masking tape from work and stashed them in his garage. What we found in the 10 or so tapes that we had examined there was that collectively we saw all of these same unusual types of metal particles that we had seen on the tape from the telephone booth and on the small piece of tape from Butch Hinton's car. Now, officers did find her car in a nearby parking lot after she went missing with the keys still inside, and that car was not considered as evidence until after many people had driven it and contaminated the evidence inside of it. So that car was never, ever treated as evidence until many days after Shannon's disappearance, many days in which a number of people were in that car, many days after a number of people drove that car. So the system totally failed Shannon Melendi and her family. Hinton worked for Delta Airlines. He had a wife and kids, but he also was a rapist and a killer. And the arson insurance fraud would land him in jail. But the Melendi family never got the closure they needed. They never got her body, and they hadn't gotten the suspect yet. The focus of our family has always been 
to stop Butch Hinton from hurting another family. There's many Butch Hintons out there, and we must change our laws so families don't have to go through what we've been through. I used to be a big proponent of the death, of the death penalty, but I, I think death would be too quick for him. Then 10 years later, there was finally justice for Shannon. We, the jury, find a defendant, Colvin C. Hinton III, guilty. As to count two, felony murder, how does the jury find We, the jury, find the defendant, Colvin C. Hinton III, guilty. But now the family has this ongoing nightmare. They have a lifetime sentence trying to prevent Hinton from being released on parole. He was sentenced to life in prison for the disappearance and presumed murder of Shannon Melendi. But under Georgia law, Butch Hinton must be considered for parole. He served 15 years of his life sentence, and he was the first defendant convicted in Georgia without a body or a crime scene. Now, the prosecution was unable to get life without parole, and apparently no family members of Butch Hinton showed up as character witnesses at his parole hearing. I mean, life sentences in Georgia usually run 25 years, so Hinton could get out in nine more years. He would still be a relatively young guy. I mean, he could still rape and murder people. If it was available, yes, sir, absolutely, we would have sought life without parole. Uh, he was, he, he is a monster. He was and is a predator, and he is, he's still young enough that he could very well hurt people when he gets out. It's crazy. I mean, the parole board previously denied parole for Hinton in 2012, his first parole consideration under Georgia law, according to his sentence. Hinton became eligible for parole after serving seven years following the 2005 murder conviction. Now, parole-eligible inmates serving life sentences in Georgia that are denied parole must be reconsidered periodically by law. Following any decision to deny parole, the board set Hinton's next parole consideration for February 2025. So... By the way, I want to point out that I keep enunciating Butch Hinton's name because I think the letter T is going by the wayside with millennials. They say it's important <laughs> or boy in Beach Boulevard or Butch Hinton. What's going on with the T's? <laughs> Hello. Anyway, here's Shannon's dad about the fact that Butch Hinton is going to get out of jail for killing his daughter. Shannon is dead forever, and he should be in prison forever. Shannon's mom, Yvonne, agrees. He does have a sliver of hope. He shouldn't have any hope at all. I believe in God. I believe that Shannon is in a good place right now. But what was left behind by Hinton's murder is a mess. So unfortunately, we'll probably never know exactly how Butch Hinton kidnapped probably sexually assaulted, and then murdered Shannon Melendi. Now, prosecutors had their own ideas about how he killed her and how he kidnapped her and what he did with the body, but I leave it up to your imagination. Also, you know what? As Butch Hinton sits in prison and is attempting to get the parole board to give him freedom, he remains incredibly selfish because, you know what? He refuses to disclose what he did with Shannon's body. Now, wouldn't it be nice for the Melendi family to know where she is after all these years? And to add insult to injury, I just got exclusive information from a family member of the Melendis that Yvonne, Shannon's mother, just died yesterday, May 19th, of complications from COVID-19. 
So Shannon's mom has just passed away, never knowing what happened to her daughter. And of course, this is incredibly devastating. My heart hurts and goes out to the entire Melendi family. And with that, I've come to the end of yet another episode of Full Rigor. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast and my new Karen's Crime blog at 850WDFTL.com to see more crazy Florida true crime stories that don't make it into my podcast. And be sure to download, subscribe, and like my podcast. Give me 17 thumbs up. And by the way, I am coming up on a milestone, a million downloads, and I would like to thank each and every one of you who listened diligently to my slightly quirky take on crazy crimes that always seem to have a Florida connection. So that wraps up Full Rigor. Thanks for joining me. Until next time.